Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Please take your seats quickly, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to The Passing Shot with Joel and Kim, sponsored by DownloadTennis.com. On today's Tour Catch-Up. Iga Sviontek snaps up her fourth straight title in Stuttgart. Carlos Alcaraz beats the rain in Barcelona. And Wimbledon bans Russians from this year's competition. Kim, today is the 25th of April and we are here to catch up on the weekend tennis at Passing Shot HQ, especially backed by our crowd funders, Julie Tharp and DR. It's been another eventful week on the tour, both on court and off court. I feel like the news from Wimbledon this week has really put a spanner in the works, particularly for Russian and Belarusian players. And it's sort of overcast, I think, all the great tennis I think we've seen on the tour with the clay season fully, fully in now, fully on the road to, to Roland Garros. I mean, where's your head at? Have you been able to kind of focus on the tennis? Because I feel like my brain has sort of been just thinking about all of the ramifications of, uh, yeah, of the Wimbledon announcement earlier in the week. Yeah, a lot of fallout from that decision. Um, a lot of controversy, lots of debate. So we'll definitely be able to sink our teeth into that in the second half of the show. Uh, I think that's kind of distracted me, I think, from some of the tennis <laughs> that's been going on this week. But we will give, you know, the likes of Carlos Alcaraz and Iga Svantec their moment in passing shots on. Uh, we will get on to uh, Anastasia Potapova as well. Oh, and Andre Rublev, not not forgetting all our <laughs> champions. Um, yeah, we'll get on to the results from the last week first and then have a good old you know, analysis of mm. that decision by Wimbledon, which to be fair, a few weeks ago, like I think you had sort of said that you'd heard rumours and mutterings that it was going to happen. So it wasn't maybe a complete surprise. I feel like though, like back then, I thought we were sort of laughing it off as like, no, they won't really do that. And then they <laughs> then they sort of have and everyone's, yeah, it's, it's, it's taken a real, you know, I think, uh, you know, obviously a real serious turn. But uh, yeah, it's a real juicy subject, a real controversial subject, a real divisive subject as well. And uh, yeah, we'll get on to it in the second half. But uh, let's start, Kim, with the tennis. Let's start in Barcelona, the Barcelona ATP 500 event. Carlos Alcaraz is your winner. He beat Pablo Carreño Busta in the final in an all Spanish final, 6-3, 6-2. I think the final was was a bit of a blowout, if I'm being quite honest with you. But uh, yeah, it was a tournament that I think perhaps will probably be remembered for just how much rain there was and how many times players had to kind of double up. Alcaraz in particular had to play semi-final and final on the same day. I thought he was going to be knackered, Kim, for his final. His match with De Menor, uh, which which probably was his his final in one sense, because he was so close to going out. He saved match points. De Menor really should have been able to put it away in in two sets but I thought Alcaraz was going to be knackered for that final against PCB and I thought PCB you know he's a wily competitor he's experienced he'll know how to 
exploit Alcaraz's his tiredness, um, you know, given the amount of, of running he's had to do through the tournament. But no, <laughs> Alcaraz 6-3, 6-2, really routine victory. PCB, for, for whatever reason, just, just didn't turn up despite having a, a much easier semi-final. But uh, yeah, very impressive from Alcaraz. We all know his talent. And again, throughout this week, I think particularly against Dumanor and Sissipas as well in the quarterfinal, it was all on show for the home crowd. Yeah, and PCB afterwards said it wasn't the match that he expected. So maybe he had gone into mm. it thinking, oh, Carlos is a bit tired. He's played three hours and 40, you know, earlier on that day yeah. against him and all. But, you know, Carlos just, Maybe he just felt he needed to turn up. Yeah, maybe it was a, a walk in the park, but not 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 the case because Carlos Alcaraz is, you know, a young eighteen year old, clearly very physically fit. So I'm sure that 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 long match earlier in the day, you know, wasn't wasn't perhaps the same uh, impact as it would have been on an older player or what have you. But yeah, um, great win for Alcaraz. He's he's four 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 titles to to the good now he's actually won the first four finals of his career all in straight sets so uh, I was thinking that's the complete opposite to someone like Felix Oje Aliassi <laughs> who was basically like the complete opposite but um yeah I think what's really uh, interesting is a lot of parallels again with Rafa you know Carlos is now in the top 10 uh, and Rafa did exactly the same thing after winning the Barcelona Open 17 years ago spooky so yeah, Alcaraz is now the youngest player to to get into the top ten since Rafa did it at this exact tournament and stage of the year uh, back in what two thousand and five. So um, yeah, the parallels continue. Uh, <laughs> but um, I mean, aside from that, obviously, you know, there are there are obvious differences. But um, yeah, great win for Alcaraz. He came through some tough battles. Also managed to uh, defeat Sitspas for the third time in his his career. He's He's never lost to Sitspas. So um, I think much to the annoyance of Sitspas, there was a few controversial moments with the umpire, wasn't there, Joel, in that one? Yes. I mean, Sitspas probably felt like that match was him versus the world. Uh, and well, namely uh, Alcaraz and maybe the tournament organisers. But uh, yeah, it was a very um, sort of um, agro-fueled match from from both sides. Particularly, I mean, surprise, surprise, again, Kim, Sissipas, we're talking about toilet breaks. Um, he was getting angry, particularly at Alcaraz, because he had, I think it was seven, seven and a half minutes or so off court. Sissipas was basically saying to the umpire, Alcaraz is, is sort of taking the mickey a little bit. And, uh, the umpire did nothing about it. And, uh, yeah, it was, it sort of, it's the moment sort of got to him. It really kind of, angered him and it also felt a little bit kind of tactical in terms of there were moments in that match where Sissipas was in the full ascendancy and Alcaraz was just kind of trying to use his time similar I think to how kind of Sissipas has sort of used toilet breaks previously and I think he just got a bit of a taste of his own medicine to be quite honest and he did not like it it was a really enthralling match really entertaining Alcaraz as you said does now lead the head-to-head between them 3-0 which I feel is is quite surprising but um yeah that was a very tense match and you know they're gonna obviously have a lot more matches in the future and I wonder if this sort of aggression that we saw in this match will will carry over into their kind of matchups in the future and keep it heated because um you know it was from both sides and also you know at the start of that first set as well or sorry the end of that first set Sissipas just 
leathered the balls straight at Alcaraz's head, and he did not like that one bit. So um, yeah, there's plenty of plenty of needle there um, that I would expect to kind of spill over into future matches in the tour, probably towards uh, you know going on maybe who knows at Roland Garros or even further on into the clay season. Yep, yeah, well, we love a bit of grudge match, uh, you know, action, don't we? I'm not on the A to B tour. Um, yeah, love a bathroom break aggro. Um, uh, yeah, definitely sits pass and, and the toilet definitely seems to be. He told the umpire, you should be fired. Yeah, he said um, he accused the umpire of not knowing the rules, uh, essentially, because, you know, the umpire had given Sitspass a, a penalty. Um, mm. But obviously Alcaraz took a prolonged break at the start of the third set as well. Um and Sitspass said, if you are wrong, you should be fired. So um, not, you know, I think players have said worse. You know, I'm thinking of the likes of Kyrgios. Um, but yeah, they, they do always sort of seem to have the umpires' jobs on the line when they get angry in matches, don't they? And um, I mean, yeah, w- obviously these ru- rules are kind of new. You know, they have had to be recently uh, implemented. So um, at least they're, they're kind of being called upon in these instances and you know it's going to be frustrating um but sits but you know you've like we said before you have got to keep calm and cool you cannot let these things get to you and I know it's easier said than done we all get frustrated um <laughs> about things but you know it's it's the ones that can really contain it that generally will be uh getting the win so um Things to work on there for for Sitspas for sure. Um, and Alcaraz, he will go off to uh, what Madrid and Rome and uh, hope to win more titles on the clay. Um, yeah, really great week from him. He got the massive trophy, um, as we were uh, saying last week. Who was going to get that big trophy and go <laughs> in the swimming pool? And yeah, Spanish win uh, on Spanish soil. So uh, nice for the home fans as well. Yes, and we also had... Kim, I, I've got to bring this up. My favourite German all doubles pairing, Kravitz and Mies, winning their first title, I'm assuming, since getting back together. 10-6 in a championship tiebreak against Kulhoff and Skupski. Um, so I'm a bit, yeah, a bit excited about that. But yeah, it was a generally, it was a good tournament. But yeah, it was just a shame. It was just so much rain and it just felt like it impacted on players' performances. And uh, from a British point of view, I mean, Cam Norrie, he was, I mean, he came from a very, very long match against Fuchovic, um to get to the quarterfinals. And he was just, just felt like he was dead and buried against Dumanor, who, you know, who came through in three sets, but Nori just ultimately, I think, ran out of steam in that third set. Um, nice to see Dumanor actually get to a, an ATP 500 clay event semi-final. I think he will be kicking himself that he didn't get to the final. Um, I think he will have a few nightmares about the uh, shot he had, the forehand shot he had mid-court, Alcaraz seemingly out of sight, and then he got done with a, a passing shot winner. I think he will be a bit frustrated in terms of not being able to close it out, but still a very good week for him, I think, to get to the a semi-final and be amongst all of the clay specialists like Alcaraz, Schwartzman, and as I said, Crenio Buster as well. So um, yeah, good week for, for Dumanor. I think I had Schwartzman and possibly PCB down to do something at either Monte Carlo or prior to that. So I'm glad that both of them got to like a <laughs> semi-final uh, and final because they were sort of names on my mm. radar uh, over the last few weeks. But yes, Alcaraz victorious in Barcelona. We also had the Serbia Open uh, out in Belgrade, um, which 
obviously headlined by world number one, Novak Djokovic, with all his home fans, home country. Uh, second seed, Andre Rublev. We had a final between the two of them. Uh, I don't think Rublev had ever beaten Djokovic before. Certainly hadn't beaten uh, an active world number one on the tour. Uh, very interesting final between these two. Uh, 6-2, 6-7, 6-love to Andre Rublev. Um kind of running away with it in in that last set Djokovic just could not compete he was uh he was gone he'd run out of gas uh by that point and yeah a very well deserved title for Rublev he uh apart from dropping a set in his uh third round you know pretty smooth all week and then obviously that set dropped Djokovic in the final which you know they had a really really long uh end to that second set Djokovic was uh you know able to come through in that tie break but um yeah by that point, even despite taking a, a bathroom break at the start of that third set, Novak had uh, nothing left in the tank. Yeah. And I mean, just just on that, does that does that worry you for if you're a Novak fan? The fact that, again, you know, because it's quite similar to the, you know, the match against Davidovich Fikino, where he just ran out of steam, it felt like, in the third set and not really had, you know, much else to give. And I think he's, you know, he's acknowledged that in press saying um, he had a kind of non-COVID related illness a few weeks ago and I think that sort of depleted him of his energy and he's still kind of working his way back but the fact that he doesn't look doesn't sound like he's got the energy levels to go best of three um, I know we talk about you know peaking at the right moments and Djokovic will obviously want to peak at Roland Garros but the fact that he's not being able to be competitive I feel over even just three sets, I don't think is, I still think like, yes, he got to the final and that's a obviously a big improvement on, on Monte Carlo, but I still think I'm looking at that final set and thinking, yeah, but there's still, there's still quite a bit of work there to be done. Yeah, I think though he had a really like tough week in the sense that he was a down a downer set in all of his matches and had to fight back. And, you know, that does take its toll, doesn't it? And I think that's what he referenced after the event. You know, he could very easily have gone out in that first first match. Yeah, you know, he was yeah. down a set to Lajlo Ger, like fellow Serbian and had to come through in two tie breaks in the last two sets and then down a set against Kekmanovic, another fellow Serb, down a set against Kachanov in the semi. So you know, not not a walk in the park. And if, as you said, coming back from this kind of illness he had, it's, it's, it's going to take time. So if I'm a Djokovic fan, I wouldn't be worried yet either. I think um, there's still two more tournaments prior to Roland Garros. And I think he's going to get better each week. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, I, I watched some of the Djokovic catching of match and, you know, sets two and sets three. That That for me was the closest we got to kind of the Djokovic clay court player that we've we all we just sort of associate him with um you know he was playing very very well Kachinov didn't really have uh much of a, a response to him and I think if there are a couple of sets that Djokovic looks back on from this week I think it will be those those two in terms of the intensity he brought um and yeah just kind of just being very dominant and very aggressive but as you said at times it was just about getting it done winning ugly and it didn't really feel like you know the Novak Djokovic we we know you know going down going down a set uh you know three times in a row um I know that you know I, even Djokovic fans you know will say that was probably not in the game book but at the same time they will probably say you know minutes on court getting you know a run out is again a part of the process and he'd certainly got a lot of minutes I think um you know at the Serbia Open but um when he's coming up against someone like 
Rublev, who's been in very good form this season. Yeah, he just didn't have enough, I think, intensity to bring it across the full match. And I think still for me, that is the biggest, the biggest challenge that he's got is can he be competitive, not just at the, the start of the match where he seems to be kind of losing sets and he won't want to obviously make a habit of that, but also how he's finishing as well. And if he's able to kind of claw it back, does he have anything left in the tank? And from the match against Rublev and from the match against Davidovich Fakina, I think the answer at the moment is no. Yeah, it's it's strange, isn't it? Because it's so unlike what we're used to seeing from him. And I was I was watching that last set of my. It's mum so and... comprehensive, though. It's not yeah. even close. It's my like was like, has he eaten gluten or meat by mistake? Because he's so <laughs> out of sorts. It's just like, what is happening? But you know, it's been an interesting year for him, hasn't it? Yeah. All that hoo ha. It can't season. have helped. It can't have helped. No, because um, even when there's sort of things playing on your mind and you've been through that kind of struggle, it's just weighs you down physically. At least that's yeah. what happens with me. So um, you can kind of almost feel just sluggish in your whole body because of an experience like that. So um, give it time, Djokovic fans. Um, he's too good a player not to obviously come back and be back at his best. It just might take a bit longer than perhaps we thought. Um we also had Dominic Team, though, didn't we, Joel, uh, in his first outing back? He lost in the first round to John Millman. Uh, so not 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 great, but, you know, three sets it went to. And I think Team is playing this week uh, in Estoril. So he'll be looking to kind of go a bit better there. But I think, um, again, he's been out for so long with injury. It's going to take time. Um, and he needs that kind of space and patience to do that. Um, but I mean, one player who definitely is just timing everything brilliantly and getting everything spot on at the moment is Iga Sviontek, uh, women's world number one. She won yet another title. Uh, I think four on the trot. This makes it her 23rd straight match win. And she won the Stuttgart Open, the Porsche Tennis Grand Prix, 6-2-6-2 over Arena Sabalenka in the final I mean, she had a tough semi-final, but the rest of the week was, you know, straight sets, pretty comfortable. Um, and yeah, she she's just on fire. It, it continues. It's uh, She's now up, I think, it's the longest win streak, uh, I think, since Serena Williams back in 2013. Um, she's had, yeah, a, a, just, just astronomical um, amount. Oh, I apologise. Naomi Osaka last year went on a 23-match win streak, but over a longer period of time. So Igor Svontex won the same number of matches, but in a shorter period. Yeah. And it doesn't look like it's it's going to stop. I mean, it, it's really impressive seeing, you know, Svontex on court at the moment. She looks she looks like the the world number one, and you know, it's it's got to a point where if someone takes a set off her even that feels like a you know a massive achievement as did uh, Samsonova do in the uh, in her semi final and it felt like she played almost like the the perfect match and she still couldn't kind of come away with it and i think you know for Sviontek, i think what was so impressive was yeah she's been kind of got that capacity to kind of blast opponents off the court but also when she is in a dogfight um like in that semi final and it might come down to a point here or there. Again, she's coming through those. Uh, she's coming through those with flying colours. And when she gets to the final, um, again, she's just so 
uh, imperious in in finals. Her her record is uh, you know is exceptional, and Sabalenka's record in finals is also very good. I think she's only lost twice um, in in WTA finals, but Sviontek just was just able to just assert her game on the court and Sabalenka just didn't really have an answer to it. Um, particularly I feel like with Shiontek's direction of the ball, you know, short uh, cross court shots, um, particularly on the forehand movement, moving Sabalenka around. Um, it just felt like it was only going to go one way. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's quite scary, Kim. I feel like we're already sort of talking about Shiontek as, you know, obviously, there's still quite a bit of time uh, up to kind of the, the French Open, but at the moment, you've got to say, is it? It's hers to lose, no? On the on the WTA tour. Well, she's already won this tournament, and mm. she is now, you know, a, a vastly improved player from when she won it, yeah. you know, kind of eighteen months ago. So, yeah, by far and away, she would be the absolute favourite. Um, having said that, you know, sometimes players go in as overwhelming favourites and. Maybe the the pressure gets them. I mean, she she obviously works for that. I keep thinking Dinara Safina Kim. Yeah, but I think Shrontex uh, doesn't seem to suffer from Dinara Safina's sort of nerves. Uh, you know, yeah, she works true. with sports psychologists. She's very calm. You know, mentally, physically. Like even she said after that Samson of a match, she was able to just like reset for the final the next day and and just kind of fo- start again, focus from scratch. So really impressive, yes, again. The fact also that she has won her last seven finals without dropping a set. I mean, she barely loses games in her finals, so... I mean, her coach wasn't even at the tournament, which, again, made it doubly like doubly impressive. And uh, I, th- <laughs> I think, you know, also, I mean, just, just watching her, it was just... I mean, it was interesting to see her movement because it felt like that court was a bit of an ice rink. I'm not going to lie. There was a lot of sliding going on that court. A lot of kind of players I felt like falling over, kind of twisting and and turning. So, um, yeah, I think it wasn't not necessarily an easy court to play on. And perhaps the the speed of it as well maybe played into someone like Sabalenka's Sabalenka's favour because she came through some quite difficult opponents. She even beat uh, Contevate indoor she snapped Contivate's streak, um, beat Bedosa, the second seed, the world number two uh, in the semifinals as well, um, and also beat Bianca Andreescu um, in three sets. So, you know, she had a very tough route, I think, to the final. And even with the conditions, which I felt were maybe in, in favour a little bit of Sabalenka, given, as I said, it was a, a bit faster. And I think that played into Sabalenka's power game from the, the back of the court. Shiontek really just, yeah, had an answer to it. And it was... Yeah, it was not. Um, it was a bit of a, a formality, really, and um, it doesn't feel like there's much. There's many weaknesses in the the game at the moment. Maybe all the players need to ask Ludmilla Samsonova what what is going on because, apart from her and Emma Raducanu, um, you know that was not necessarily a regulation straight sets victory. She did kind of challenge her at times. It feels like between them, they were the only two that really got close to kind of upsetting the apple cart. Or should I say the bagel cart of uh, Igor Sviontek? <laughs> the bakery, yeah. I mean, Emma had a respectable scoreline, 6-4, six, 6-4. Four, mm. six, four. Um, she did make Sviontek work a little bit harder than some of her other matches. And um, I mean, the last time I think they played was in the girls' singles back in 2018 at Wimbledon. And Sviontek uh, only lost one game in that meeting. So obviously they've both come a long, long way since then. But... Um, yeah, Radicani, please. She got, you know, two wins under her belt. I think this was her first official, you know, WTA event on the clay. So 
you know, it's it's still a very reasonable um, performance um, to lose to the world number one. I think more than I think more than reasonable. I think more than reasonable. You know, she um, applied herself very well. I didn't even think she was going to play it, given the you know the blisters and the toenails. you know yeah. that happened in uh you know the Billie Jean King Cup quali- uh, a Billie Jean King Cup qualifier so to see her even taking part was great to see and you know winning back-to-back matches as well um and then giving Shiontek a really good game uh you know run for her money I think you know she showed you know w- what it's going to take and particularly I think with some of her shots I, f- I felt maybe her serve Raducanu's serve was at times being um just kind of played with on a string by by Shiontek. So I think there's certainly things that she can work on. But I mean, as you said, first WTA tour event, 500 event, no less on indoor clay. I mean, I think she applied herself very, very well. And I'm certainly excited to see how she kind of goes on. We'll see you know, what she can do in Madrid. But um, it looks like, yeah, it's not just it's not just, you know, we should be thinking about her on a, on a grass court or a hard court. It certainly feels like she's got the game that can be applied to all surfaces. And I think that is the hallmark of a, a really, really good player that sort of lays the foundations. And I think going on later into the, the clay swing, um, yeah, I think she, um, you know, could cause it, could cause a few up, could cause a few upsets potentially. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, once she's in Grand Slam mode, things can be quite mm. different, can't they? So um, let's finish with our, our weekly Emma Raducanu roundup and um, touch upon the Istanbul event, Joel, because we had a WTA 250 out in Turkey. Um, first time winner, actually. Uh, I think this is the first first time winner of a WTA tour title so far this year. I feel like last year we had loads already mm. by this time, but <laughs> we only had the one this time uh, this year. Anastasia Potapova winning 6-3, 6-1 in the final against Veronica Kudometova. Um, yeah, I mean, two two Russians in the final, obviously not representing Russia at, at this time. Um, it was pretty comfortable, really, for Potovova in that final. She was down a break in the first set, but then won eight games on the trot and, you know, only, only lost one after that point. So, um, yeah, really fantastic for her. She's a very up-and-coming player back back in a few years yeah. ago. Yeah. Wimbledon champion. She was up in, like, the 60s, pushing, like, top 50. And I think she had, yeah. like, ankle Injury. surgery. Yeah, and, and yeah. she fell out of the the top 100 so it's really nice to see her I think kind of getting back and rediscovering her form coming all the way through qualifying um I was looking at some of her results this season I mean to be honest she's not really done a lot um on the WTA tour side of things so I think as a fan just looking at it it was a little bit of a it was a little bit of a surprise if you go by the the form book and um you know she she had also lost to, to Kudometova at the start of the season in Melbourne as well so um yeah, a little bit surprising in in that sense, but um, yeah, really nice win for her first WTA Tour title. Um, she's I'm sure over the moon about it, and uh, again, someone like Kudometova as well, who's again had a pretty I think solid season, quite a dangerous opponent, good good win. Yeah, and as a qualifier, obviously even more impressive. I think second qualifier this season to win a title after. Tatiana Maria mm. uh, a few weeks ago in Colombia. So um yeah, great stuff with Potapova. You know, she has been former junior number one in the world. So um, you know, she has good prospects, but we've kind of not really forgotten about seen them. her, yeah, because of her injuries. So perhaps this will be the start of the next phase of her career. So um yeah, 
we wish her well. And I was very impressed she managed to beat Sara Cerebo's Tormo in straight sets. No <laughs> long kind of three-hour battles with uh, Cerebo's Tormo as we come to see on the clay. But um, yeah, quite a straightforward week, <laughs> really, in, in that respect. Um, but that pretty much sums up the results uh, for this week. Uh, we'll be back after a quick break, uh, talking about all of the fallout from Wimbledon's announcement uh, that they are going to ban Russian and Belarusian players from the championships. Uh, Andy Murray has also decided to play some clay events and Ash Barty has started playing golf. Uh, So we've got lots to discuss. Do not go anywhere. Welcome back to The Passing Shop with Joel and Kim, sponsored by DownloadTennis.com. And let's move on to a little fun segment before we get on to the the more serious stuff, shall we say, Joel. Uh, We've got a par for the courts, as usual. Um, And I think, like last week, it was quite difficult. There was sort of an easier and a harder bit. This week, I hear it's even more difficult. <laughs> what, what are you thinking? It, it is. Joel? It is. It is even more di- difficult. I actually dropped a little bit of a hint as well in the first part of our episode. Um, but yeah, it is. It is quite difficult. So because because I'm being in a benevolent mood, I'm actually going to give you some lives. I don't think we've ever done this before, but because it's so difficult, I'm going to give you. I'm going to give you three lives so you can give me three wrong answers before you're kind of fully out uh, for before reaching par for the courts. I feel like a cat, Joel. You're giving me lots <laughs> of lives. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Okay. Think of it like that. Think of it like that. Um, Great. So are you ready for the, are you ready for the topic? You're probably like confused. Like what, what is it? What is, what has Joel got up his sleeve for me? Um, yeah, I, I t- can't think of what you might have mentioned earlier. So, like, yeah, what is it? <laughs> okay, so my topic for you and our listeners for this week's Par for the Courts is Annette Contivate's streak of 22 wins and four titles on indoor courts has come to an end because of Arena Sabalenka. In those 22 wins, she defeated 18 players. And my path for the courts question for you is how many of those 18 players can you name? Uh, they occurred across St. Petersburg, Moscow, Cluj, Stra- Ostrava, sorry, uh, and obviously this week in Stuttgart. So 18 players. I'm, it's, I think it's very, very difficult unless you're an absolute contivate fanatic. So uh, I'm going to set the par score at with three lives i'm going to give you six out of 18 and a third is okay. what i'm looking for yeah i think that's doable because essentially i'm probably just going to have to name players in like the top 20 30 40 <laughs> uh i'm just trying to think who she would have played in finals yeah this is definitely the hardest one today and mm. i i'm i'm not going to lie i'm not uh, a closet contivate <laughs> i don't know if any of our listeners are but a good luck to you if you are at uh, this uh, this attempt um okay right shall i let's get started let's kick start okay. this one off then okay uh guest number 1 paula bedosa correct yes Badosa is on the list. So, yeah, uh, that's one. Um, Maria Sakkari? Correct. Yes. Uh, she actually has defeated Sakkari twice, um, but she is on the list. So, 
uh yeah she also i think beat sakari in one of those finals so um yeah badossa sakari two uh you've got four more to get to get to par for the courts now i want to say a particular person but i'm not sure if they would have I think they might have played the Cluj event because it was their home. I want to say Simona Halep. Correct. Oh. Yes, uh, that is correct. Um, I think she beat Halep in that final in Cluj, uh, but it is correct. So, yes, uh, that's three. So halfway there. There was definitely this person I'm thinking of who I think actually beat Contivate, but maybe that wasn't indoors. Well, they had a few matches at the latter end. Garbina Muguruza. I think she might have beaten her and then Muguruza beat her back. Correct. Yes, oh. Muguruza. Kim, I didn't, I shouldn't have given you any lies by this point. You should have made par score much higher. I know, I should have, shouldn't I? Um, so that's Muguruza. So Bedosa, Sakari, Muguruza and Halep. So you're on four. Um. So I want to say... I mean, there must be loads of random players that she would have played in, like, the first round. But I'm going to say someone like Petra Kvitova. Correct. Yes, (laughs) Kvitova is right. Um, Yeah, Kvitova is on the list. So that's five. So you need one more to get par for the course. And I gave you three lies, which which seems really silly, which seems really, really silly now. Um, Now... I feel like I should say a player we've just mentioned actually earlier in the show. But I, oh, this is where you kind of come unstuck. So <laughs> I'm going to save Veronica Kudometova because I feel like she might have got to quarters at some of these events. Kudometova? Especially two of them were in, well, in Russia. <laughs> Incorrect. Oh. Kudometova not on the list. Okay. Uh, That's one right. of your lives gone. Ooh, it's getting tense now. Oh, it's getting tense now. Just trying to run my head through like rankings. Oh, um, uh, Belinda Bencic. Belinda Bencic? Yeah, I'm sure they played. They actually paid twice. You are correct, yes. Kim. <laughs> so, yes, uh, Bencic, uh, she defeated twice uh, as part of her streak of 22 indoor wins so you have you have achieved par for the courts well done i've achieved it thanks to one life so yeah Mm. thanks for that uh additional (laughs) uh helpful helpful i know otherwise you would have you would have fallen at the last hurdle which i feel like we've been in that situation a few times before we have i had to really cast my mind back (laughs) you know sort of at least six months ago now wasn't it well yeah five four five six months (laughs) i don't know um, any any other names? Well, any other names? I was say, out of interest, who else is on the list? Um, I was going to say maybe like, oh, I think Plushkova was out actually, wasn't she? Uh, no, no Plushkova. Oh, no, not Andres. Maybe no Andrescu. Maybe someone. No like Anisimova. Not Osaka. No Osaka. Uh, I don't know. Uh, was Radicanu involved? No Radicanu. No. Do you want to? Do you want? Do you want... <laughs> Fern- <laughs> Kerber Fernandez. Uh, Kerber is on the list. Yes, okay. um, she Just, beat Kerber uh, actually this week in in Stuttgart. Um, oh yes, of course. Uh, okay, tell me the rest. Uh, so uh, you could have had Sorana Castea, Paula Badosa, Belinda Bencic, Petra Kvitova, Sinyakova, oh. 
Andrea Petkovic, Gabinia Muguruza, Marketa Von Druseva, Alexandrova, who she also beat twice, Krunic, which would have been very tricky, uh, mm-hmm. Alison Van Utvank, Kalanina, Rebecca Peterson, Simona Halep, uh, one of uh, the passing shots' favourite, Kim, Jill Teichman, Yelena Ostapenko, Maria Sakkari, and Angelique Kerber. So those were your those were your players. So uh, yeah, listeners, let us know how you did. I, I was quite Kim. I'm not going to lie. I'm pleasantly surprised how well you handled that because I thought that was very very difficult. I'm going to go and treat myself with a nice like hot chocolate <laughs> after we've finished or something. <laughs> um, well, anyway, that streak sadly over. Uh, the next part of the court will have to be Shriontek. Yeah, I know. It was genuine, Kim. I'm not going to lie. I was genuinely was thinking about that. And uh, who knows? Maybe that will come up at some point. I'll get um, revising now. <laughs> but I don't think it's going to be an episode anytime soon. Well, we'll have to see about that. Um, right, we've got a mailbag uh, quickly, Joel, before we get onto the um, the deep stuff. Uh, this is from Jenny on email. Uh, so thanks for getting in touch, Jenny. Uh, she's asked that uh, with the following ATP and WGA Netflix documentary that's being filmed, uh, you know, throughout the tour, um, she's asked which players outside of the top 10 would you love the documentary to follow and why? Uh, so have you got any thoughts on this one, Joel? Yeah, I I would go for someone like um I I'm thinking like characterful, has good personality, has good energy, he's good for good vibes only even though, you know, when he's on the tour, yes, he has a few decent results, but sometimes, you know, he goes through a little bit of a a lull. I'm going for Francis Tiafo. Um, oh, yeah. I just think, uh, yeah, he's just like, a, I just think he's a real nice personality and I I want to see more of him on my TV um, and not necessarily on the tennis court. I think he's just got like, he's just got a very good outlook, I think, on on life in his terms of like, his worldview and um, just feel like he makes friends wherever he goes. So um, I think he'd be quite an entertaining guy, I think, to follow. And um, yeah, I'd go for someone like a Tiafo. I was sort of thinking whether there is an opportunity to just have the insight of a sort of I don't want to say journeyman player but a player who is more kind of like doing 250s in the first round second round and sort of just made their way onto the tour and is just sort sort of existing on it but I don't think that would make as as thrilling kind of documentary content as yeah perhaps like people at the you know the, the topper end of the, the rankings well i was gonna say you could ask uh paul bettany to <laughs> get, get back into his was it peter Ooh, colt, peter colt. Ooh. <laughs> um he was a journeyman before he randomly mm. you know did that film um i yeah i know what you mean i think that would be a real interesting insight because i think what we've seen with the drive to survive and the f1 uh, series is they do focus on like the teams like haas and you know who aren't up at the top and they don't have the budget and they're kind of struggling to to get by and it's a really fascinating insight and I think it actually creates a lot of warm feelings towards those at the back of the grid or lower down in the rankings so I mean in terms of personality someone like Bethany Matek Sands like oh that's a great shout that's a great great laugh isn't she yeah um although I don't know is she actually playing anymore I think she's sort of I'm not I'm not entirely sure um and then I think you know I mean well, there's so many players, I think, that we don't really see enough of them. So it's hard to know like what they actually might get up to. I think there's so much 
that we don't see that I think anyone, to be honest, would be quite interesting to um, to kind of follow. I think, um, I mean, I'm quite a fan of Dennis Isterman, as you know, um, and I think he. Would oh yeah, because a... Netflix would really love would really love that. Let's make a global superstar of Dennis Isterman. Everyone loves his glasses, Joel. I think <laughs> you know he could be a model for uh, okay, you know, okay. that look. Um, yeah, so let's let's move on, Jenny. Great question. Um, I'm still thinking of players actually because I think there's so many avenues you could explore. But I do hope that this documentary does follow quite a variety and not just like Sitzpass or whoever um I think the more the the merrier almost uh give and me I Jill Tightman yeah I hope they don't neglect players who are lower down and really you know struggling to survive I think it's really important to tell all stories so there we go thank you very much for getting in touch um if you've got any more questions for the mailbag do give us a shout uh, always happy to uh, have a crack at answering them um now Joel let's move on to the announcement that we had, uh, I think Wednesday, just gone from the All England Lawn Tennis Club, that Russian and Belarusian players have been banned from competing in this year's championships. Um, the LTA have also banned them from competing in any grass court events, I believe, uh, happening this, well, this June prior to um, Wimbledon. I mean, a lot of players have come out saying this is a ridiculous decision. Djokovic said it was crazy. Uh, both the ATP and the WTA have said that this needs to be thought over again because it goes against the um, the rules, essentially, or the principles of both organisations that, you know, individuals should not be discriminated against or p- prevented from participating based on anything but their merit. Um, what's What was your initial opinion when you heard this news? Yeah, it's uh, it's a really divisive issue, I think. Um, you know, there are some people out there who are totally for this. There are some people totally against it. I think what's kind of interesting is I think we're getting to a point now where you can't be a, it, you can't be a neutral. It feels like you have to be on one side or the other. And um, it feels kind of very split. And, you know, the gauge on, on social media, I think, has been, you know, more kind of swaying towards kind of negative kind of sentiment and I think you know if you do look at it in terms of you know those Russian players who you know like Rublev you know writing on the TV camera that you know he's you know he wants to you know make peace not war and um, you know from that point of view you feel kind of really sorry for them and you do think this is kind of an unfair kind of situation but I think when you look at kind of Wimbledon and, and their kind of point of view they must be thinking along the lines of you know, accountability. And it, from their point of view, I think they think regardless of kind of what players' standpoints are, what their views are, they, in their eyes, are accountable. And I think I was thinking more kind of about, you know, situations that could arise at the championships if nothing happened. And let's, for example, say there's a, a Russian player, maybe it's it's Medvedev or, or if it's Rublev or Sabalenka, I don't know. But one of those players wins and lifts a trophy. You just know that that would be used as some sort of propaganda in some sort of way by Russia, by Putin. And I think Wimbledon and the, the gatekeepers of Wimbledon are sort of thinking and reflecting on those scenarios that could potentially happen if they do nothing and think, we can't we can't let ourselves potentially get into that situation because that would not be 
you know, a good look, um, you know, for the, obviously not, it would not be a good look for the tournament. So I think they're protecting their best interest by doing this, making this decision. No, it was, they probably knew when they were going to make it, it was not going to be a universally popular decision, but they felt like they had to make a call on it. And I think what's interesting is that they have been the first tournament to come out and, and say this. And, you know, they are in a, a powerful situation because they are a grand slam they are steeped in history and players want to play it and yeah the ATP and WTA they could look at sanctioning Wimbledon and there's potential talk at the moment of them taking off the the ranking points for, for Wimbledon but I just think that um you know it could lead to other other tournaments following suit I mean there's already talk of of the Italian Open being pressured by the Italian government um, to do something similar. It, it, it does kind of create Pandora's box in the sense of tournaments going off and, and doing their own thing. So I would like to see some sort of unilateral stance, but it's, I think it's it's quite difficult. And I think Wimbledon have gone about sort of wanting to protect their protect their own assets and protect their own image come the championships. And they're doing it with enough kind of time in the build-up. I think what struck me was that it's very piecemeal at the moment. It's only Wimbledon doing this. Mm. And the way that tennis is governed, you know, you've got the Grand Slams and they kind of operate quite independently. They don't even obviously follow the same rules between the slams. Like they're four independent organisations. And then you've got obviously the ATP and WTA. So I'm not sure about the Italian Open, how they would uh, implement this, because surely the ATP would be the ones saying you can do this or you can't and from what they've come out and said in light of Wimbledon's decision that surely they wouldn't allow the Italian Open to do it um obviously Wimbledon hold a lot more independent power and perhaps the most powerful out of all the Grand Slams and we may see other tournaments following suit what I think is absolutely ridiculous that we have this situation where the French Open these players can play they could win uh that title lift it and you know win however much in prize money have their kind of face plastered all over the newspaper yet you know a month later at Wimbledon they can't like if you're going to make one decision it kind of it should be uniform across the board because it just creates this kind of almost hypocritical standpoint um and I personally I totally see the point that obviously should a Medvedev or Sabalenka win you know Putin could use their success uh, as propaganda but the other side of it is that by banning these players Putin is also using that as propaganda this kind of them versus us um, kind of standpoint and you know this anti like obviously he's extremely anti-Western but he's already using this decision as a kind of oh look at the West and how awful they are they're banning all our people you know he's so it's already being used it can be used kind of both both ways um so and I also think you know yes it can open up uh maybe other tournaments wanting to follow suit but it also opens up a lot more questions when you start to prevent individuals from competing you know we've already seen the fact that they can't compete in the team events which I think is completely fair but when it becomes like individuals um you know, these individuals don't operate, they don't play for Putin. They're for, for most, you know, situations, these are individuals who often don't even spend time in Russia. They're traveling around the world. They often have grown up and lived in other countries from a young age. Um, you know, they, they, a lot of them have kind of come out and 
made some sort of like anti-war gesture like you're talking about Andre Rublev but there are limits on what they can also say because they've got family back in Russia um they have a threat of of actually what they can and can't say um you know they've got to look after their their families as well and I know there's been some Ukrainian players who want Russian and Belarusian players to have to sign like a a statement or disclaimer to say that they completely denounce um you know Putin's actions and Russia's actions and the invasion and you know the re- regime and they want them they want these players to, to kind of officially denounce that to be able to carry, yeah. carry on completely. I mean that's just officially denouncing your citizenship in my in my view to Russia yeah, so that it's... that would be a very brave yeah exactly that would be I think a very that's brave unlikely. move yeah I think that's a bit, a bit much almost because you're putting your own you're putting these players at risk potentially exactly. if you force exactly. them force that kind of ultimatum mm. on them I don't personally want to I don't personally want to see that I think you know again another sort of ang- angle on it is I think this you know this debate I think we're having particularly at the moment and I think this is kind of it's not just happened now but it's happened with Russia because of you know the Olympics and and doping etc where you know we've we've spoken about these tennis players in terms of what do they represent their country do they represent Russia or do they just represent themselves and I think that's kind of a a gray area I think in in tennis in the sense that yes we've kind of banned Russia from team competitions and we've let individuals kind of go on but you know when you see the players on tv and you've got their flags next to their name and you know we hear national anthems it's hard i feel like not to it feels hard to to separate those things and for me as a result yes this this war is being led by putin but of course this is countries at play and for me it's kind of you know russia you know russia have invaded ukraine and the you know tennis players sports stars you know are russians and unfortunately you know some people will say that that kind of connection there they don't want they don't feel like you know they should be allowed to kind of play play on the play on the tour at the moment you know Svitolina Kostuk all the Ukrainian players are coming out and voicing their approval of of this decision from from Wimbledon so it's very difficult it's it's really kind of split opinions and um you know there's going to be it's going to be kind of fallout from it again i think players because it's so individualistic again there's already kind of talk i know we've spoken in the past about the ptpa and and some sort of union and whether there's a potential maybe for players to stand up for other players in terms of a, a boycott i don't know how realistic that is but you feel like there's not enough infrastructure maybe in place to perhaps do that in a way that is effective unless there was some sort of independent maybe ptpa like kind of body but uh yeah it's 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 very difficult to kind of see where where this is going at the moment because it's it's just kind of opened up a big a big can of worms hasn't it yeah i also you know people are questioning like the effectiveness of this you know Mm. uh banning these players from playing wimbledon isn't going to change what's happening in the invasion and the war um, I personally don't think uh, the fact that Rublev may not be able to like do well at Wimbledon is going to stop Putin from invading, you know. Um, but I, I guess it's see that's very basic to think that it would, but it's all part of like 
it all adds to this like wider Bigger thing picture. that's going on. Yeah. yeah. Although other sports, you know, there's other sports that are still allowing individuals to compete. So I think if a big sporting event is going to do it, there needs to be a really joined up, like unified uh, action taken across like all sports, not just like one tournament from one sport, because that's just like one drop in the ocean is it really going to make yeah and I do wonder I do wonder if Wimbledon kind of thought you know given their their power and their role in tennis as a as a grand slam and you know they generate a lot of money um to kind of you know they generate they're a big kind of cash earner as well whether they felt like they needed to be that person who was going to make that first that first commitment that first sort of hand raise and see if others kind of follow suit and again we might be in this situation where other tournaments do follow do follow suit they're maybe even not waiting around for you know the ATP and WTA as I said there are rumors of the Italian Open doing something similar I don't know how realistic that is um, at the moment given how close we are to the tournament but um, it's not a surprise I think to see these sorts of situations arise because do you remember Kim we had the French Open just sort of go out on their own and say hey we're gonna we're gonna run our tournament in September or or October because you know we need the money and we missed out on it because of the pandemic and I think this is kind of Wimbledon's own sort of stance and yeah maybe took some people by surprise but um given I think the the tournament this summer and the potential scenarios at play yeah i think they're just being very kind of obviously risk averse and not letting it up to up to chance and up to the draw and are getting getting ahead of the game so um yeah it's uh it's 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 a lot it's a lot to take isn't it i feel like we could do like a few episodes at least on on the subject yeah i think when i when you first said a few weeks ago that they were thinking about doing it i just thought oh you know, what a load of old tosh, like mm. uh, that that surely can't be the case. And then I think when it was announced, I mean, my initial thing is I disagree with it um, because I don't think individuals should be, um, I, want, I don't want to say punished. You know, I, I'm aware that there's a war going on and there's awful atrocities and obviously the whole of Ukraine is being punished. I think we shouldn't lose sight of that given all exactly. of the, all exactly. of this information. But I do think that... Um, I don't. I guess from my perspective, it's sort of like a, the argument of kind of like what aboutery. It's like there are other countries in the world who are aggressive, like their governments are aggressive, or there have been wars in the past, or they there may be wars in the future. So if this is happening now, do we then therefore mean like mm. is Wimbledon would would they ban other players from other countries? Should future conflicts happen elsewhere? Like is it going to be consistently applied going forwards if there are other? conflicts and, and whatnot like uh, you know you could ha- kind of argue things from a multiple of of standpoints um to justify kind of removing certain people from tournaments so I think it's like a, I don't know that sport operates within the realm of of politics it's impossible I think to completely separate the two but this is obviously a really direct intervention uh, into sport as a result of the political landscape and I'm just not sure I'm entirely comfortable with that and I mean, you talk about not feeling com- comfortable with it from the kind of fan point of view. I mean, I've, again, I've seen talk of people saying, oh, I'm not going to go to Wimbledon this year because of this, the, you know, this policy. Do you think, do you think that is plausible? Do you think fans will 
boycott similar to you know we've we've already heard chatter about a player boycott again not sure how much truth there is in that but could you see fans also being you know feeling so strong about this that you know if they have tickets for Wimbledon this year and they don't agree with with what Wimbledon has done do you think they will feel strong enough to be like actually you can you can have your tickets because I don't I don't agree with your decision possibly I don't think it would make a significant impact on ticket numbers I think someone would have to be incredibly uh, against it I mean I think like I, I'm still gonna try and go to Wimbledon even if I don't necessarily think it was the right I don't want to say right but I, I you know even if I'm not so comfortable with the decision um, I'm still gonna go uh, you know sorry if you are a fan of Rublev you, you won't be able to see him play uh, plenty of other, of other players in the draw I mean it affects what I think uh, two of the top 20 oh, sorry three of the top 20 in singles for the women two of the top 10 men I think I mean here's another argument would any of them have won the title anyway probably not in the singles but I think there could have been some doubles mm, or junior yeah. champions well, uh you know necessarily you know it's not I don't think it's a, a long a long stretch um you know to to plausibly think about um i was sort of thinking initially when i when i heard the news that daniel medvedev chose the wrong part of the season to have his uh his yeah, operation it's surgery. Um, so um yeah well you know i'm sure i'm sure talk will will rumble on and it'll uh feature again in the, the podcast uh soon but uh let's move on kim because we do have other news to talk about and we do have some british news andy murray uh, has reversed his decision to skip the clay court season. Um, he has taken a wild card into the Madrid Open. Still not sure, still feels doubtful that he will play at the French Open. But positive signs, I feel, that he's decided to take a wild card. I mean, I think he... Um, I've, I personally think he's seen how Novak Djokovic has come back, given um, you know his lack of time on court. And he's thinking... I just can't take this part of the season off and then expect to come back and do the business on the grass season. I, I still need to keep keep the engine going. And I think maybe that potentially influenced his decision. Along possibly. along with even Lendl, of course. Yeah, possibly. But then I'm thinking, well, if he's drawn against someone top in the first round, loses, um, he might just get like, what, two matches if he plays like two tournaments, yeah. in which case, is it really worth it? You know, if he goes on a bit of a run and has, you know, some great match practice, fine. But based on what he's been doing in recent tournaments, I, I, I'm just not really convinced this is a good idea. You know, if, if he okay. w- was really wanting to focus on the grass, I think it would just make more sense to... I don't I don't agree I don't agree with that I think I I think he needs match I think he needs match time I just don't think he can just turn up and be ready to get like and be ready to go I'd love I'd love for that to be the case but if his body's gonna let him play on the clay and and based on videos we've seen on on social media he's looking you know it's looking comfortable he's looking good then I feel like he's just like I don't want to I just don't want to sit around and you know, wait for this, you know, all to go by, particularly, you know, when time is scarce, um, particularly on the tour at, at his age. Um, if for me, it was a little bit of a no brainer. I just feel like if you're not going to play the French Open, is it sort of, not that everything has to build up to a slam, but it, it almost reminds me of Federer last year when he like pulled out of um, the French because he then wanted to focus on Wimbledon. And that like annoyed a lot of people. And I'm not, this isn't really, yeah, this isn't really a direct equation, but it's almost like, 
oh, I'll just play a bit here and there. But I don't know. I just kind of, it's gone. I think it's just because he's done a bit of a U-turn. Um, but he's obviously got this wild card. I mean, who doesn't want to go to Madrid? There's some great <laughs> food in Madrid. Well, so the Spanish clearly... players the Spanish players did not want him to go to Madrid, it sounded like. Or, or at least they were not happy with his allocation of a wild card. Uh, the Madrid Open is now run by IMG, um, who've had a much better greater influence um in terms of who uh, gets the wild cards and uh as a result um it has sort of minimized kind of local spanish players involvement uh from kind of previous editions where it was it just felt like i mean it just felt like spanish players were just getting handed all the wild cards to the madrid open left right and center so players like fernando vadasco um have kind of come out in in sort of anger saying yeah, just not happy that kind of local representation has been diminished so significantly because of the change in tournament owners. I mean, do you think that's fair or do you think, you know, if they own the tournament, they they can do what they want. They don't have to pander to kind of local players if, if they don't feel like it's in their best interest. Yeah, it's difficult to argue because they, you know, they own the tournament. They can do what they like. Wildcards are in their inherent nature is that they are wild and can go anywhere. But <laughs> I think looking at the list, it seems they've kind of given more of the qualifying wildcards to Spaniards still. Um, and it's just like the main draw ones that have gone. Well, I think there's only one Spaniard, Carlos Jimeno. Um, is that Jimeno Traver? <laughs> um, I think so. Um, yeah, only one Spanish player for the main draw. I think, I guess it just kind of go. You shouldn't also, if you're a local like Spanish player who was relying on this you shouldn't expect to receive one just because you are mm, a local that player country, yeah. because you do also need to warrant it this isn't <laughs> the uk back in 2006 at wimbledon time <laughs> what where everyone <laughs> under the sun was getting a wild yeah, card yeah. yeah it's like you do have to earn it as well and obviously they, they've given wild cards to like naomi Osaka. i mean obviously they're going to want her there if she's up for playing mm. um andy murray you know big champion so you can't argue with the sense of like the reasoning behind giving those players wild cards. Um, and I can also see why they've given wild cards to the other players like Fruvertiva, Monica Puig, you know. So, yeah, it's um, I, I, I get both sides of the argument, um, to be honest. I think um, I can see it from both perspectives, but there's essentially there's no written rule about where wild cards should go. So do you think they should? I think a balance is good. Maybe 50-50. 50% Spanish, 50% whoever IMG want. That would be maybe a fairer way to do it going forwards to appease both sides. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it's it's yeah, it's definitely interesting. It's definitely got got to the Spanish the Spanish players talking. Um but what else has got everyone talking is Kim Ashbarty recently retired world number one she has signed up for a golf event the icons series uh, which i think is out in new jersey in the united states uh i was just reading up on it it's just basically a bunch of celebrities uh sorry sorry not celebrities famous sports stars pep guardiola michael phelps ash barty uh, they're all going to be there um it's a usa versus rest of the world format um, but yeah, for tennis fans, it's does this give us a little bit of an insight in terms of Ash Barty and where she thinks her immediate future might be? Professional in a third sport? Apparently, she plays a handicap of five, which I mean, I don't know much about golf, but that sounds pretty good. Um, I think she's been 
playing and, and winning local competitions to where she uh, she lives and her fiance is a golfer. So I guess golf is a big part of her life as a result of that. Yeah, I, I was reading. She actually lives on a golf course. And, and as soon as I read that, I was like, what a traitor to tennis. What, <laughs> should, shouldn't you be living like next to not, or or a having tennis, like a tennis Yeah, or to have a tennis court in the garden. I was just like, that's like, what? That's just complete. That's just complete blasphemy in my book. I'm picturing like a a rabbit burrow or something under one of the like <laughs> holes. <laughs> I'm thinking what just a house by like the hole. Um, I don't know much about golf, as you can tell. Um, yeah, I mean she's obviously just got such a good eye for sports. Like she played cricket, she played tennis professionally. Why not golf? I mean, I mean Rafa likes a bit of golf. A lot of players do play it in their spare time, so it's probably a natural combination as well good eyes but uh yeah well we wish her well see how she gets on <laughs> and uh i mean yeah who doesn't want to play golf with michael phelps i mean that that would be quite fun wouldn't it pretty all-star uh, pairing isn't it yes <laughs> um right let's quickly look at what's happening this week joel we've got Esteril and we've also got munich so two atp 250 events out on the clay uh felix oj aliasim is headlining Esteril, but davidovich fakina is there who's potentially looking more likely to come through the top half, given his exploits in Monte Carlo. Uh, Seb Corder's there. Dominic Team again, having a crack at this one. Uh, Schwartzman, uh, Marin Cilic is the third seed. That's interesting. Uh, Ramos Vinolas is there, though, as well. He's the uh, defending champion. Um, and then Zverev is out in Munich with Kasper Ruud and Basilashvili, who's the defending champion there. So any any initial thoughts on these draws yeah i think i think everyone i think i will be looking at davidovich fakina i think he you know, he cited fatigue and, and dropped out last week after his exploits in monte carlo so i'll be uh i'll be curious to see how he comes back um in estoril in a 250 um and yeah dominic team as well i thought dominic team looked all right um you know in his first match you know back since injury given how much uh you know time he's been off court um he's got benjamin bonzi in the first round um and then could potentially face sebi corda so um yeah I'm, I'm sort of you know curious to see how he gets on as well um and yeah in uh sorry in munich yeah i think kasper I quite like Kasper Ruud. Zverev might be looking at this as an opportunity for him to win his first tour title this season. Um, Dan Evans is there. I mean, Dan Evans had a not great start to the clay season. He's got Maxime Cressy in the first round. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm sort of thinking Ruud. Yeah, Ruud maybe in, in Munich. And, um, yeah, I think I think maybe David Davidovich Fikina. I think he'll just ride that energy, that momentum from Monte Carlo see where it takes him potentially to another another title yeah for sure I think um I think he's the one I'm intrigued by the most from Estoril and mm. uh I mean as for Munich yeah see what Dan Evans can can get up Philip to Philip is there is he still going yeah, is he still he's there in a while around I know. Amazing. <laughs> he's got Daniel Altmaier in the first round um and I see there's another German wildcard. See, well, they're obviously giving their wildcards to, to locals. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've actually been to both these tournaments. Um, I remember when I went to Munich, it was absolutely freezing cold. My toes were like ice. So I hope they have better weather um, this week. But um, yeah, we'll, we'll be back next week to to catch up on all of the action from both of those events. 
Yes, listeners, I hope you enjoyed listening to this latest catch up of the passing shot. Remember to subscribe to us to stay up to date on the ATP and WTA tours on whatever device you listen to us on. We are on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all good podcasting platforms out there. You can also listen to us on the downloadtennis.com app. And if you like what you're hearing, then make sure to leave us a rating and comment on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And you can follow us on social media, on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We are at Passing Shot Pod. So do give us a like and a follow if you don't already. Uh, but you can also get in contact via email if you prefer, passingshotpod at gmail.com. And don't forget to check out our website, www.thepassingshot.co.uk. And we will be back next week at Passing Shot HG for another tour catch up. So I hope you can join us for our next episode. But in the meantime, it's goodbye from Kim. Goodbye. And it's goodbye from me. We will see you again soon.